0: all right go to romans chapter 2 we obviously have a lot to try to wrap up in an hour i don't know if we're going to be able to pull it off but we're gonna try um so let's just remind ourselves we obviously studying the canons of dort right and in the canons of dort we came across an article dealing with what subject assurance of our election or we could say assurance of our salvation okay and in their effort to say that we can have assurance there was a number of points they made obviously uh, but we took that and uh, we looked at their idea of assurance and, and to, to make it simple ultimately what we have been told from the canons of Dort hinted at a little bit in the London Baptist Confession um, and in other sources as well, is that the way we can have assurance, and that this assurance supposedly is a, you know, we can have it, it's a guaranteed that we can have it, is that we find assurance by looking to what thing? To looking to ourself and our external behavior, right? Or as the uh, canons of Dort stated, what the, how do they re- reference it? Infallible fruit, infallible fruit. And this infallible fruit, we can look at, and this infallible fruit then serves as a test, right? This proves whether we are saved or whether we are unsaved, okay? So this is, we'll call this this evidential idea, that there is evidence that can prove whether you're saved or unsaved. And that started an interesting discussion, because around that same time, we have obviously arrived in Romans chapter 2. So let's look at Romans chapter 2. All right, Romans chapter 2, and let's look at verses, uh, so what verses we want to look at here? We'll go we'll look at verses 6 through 10. All right? Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Now, the goal here is not to expound Romans 2, 6 through 10 at this time, but to this is to continually to build on the case that we have made so far on this entire subject. Okay, But in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, we discover something. And, and the verses leading to this, just to make sure we remind ourselves. There's a contrast between our judging and God's judging, right? The first principle we find out about God judging is found in verse two. And what did we find out in verse two? That how God judges, according to truth. He judges according to truth. The second thing we learn about God judging, now some will argue there's principles in verse 4 and 5, we won't get to those right now. But the second thing we discover about how God judges is in verse 6. And we find that God judges, he will render to every man according to his deeds. He judges us according to our works. Now, the way these two concepts come together is many within the Protestant evangelical world says, don't worry about the fact that God judges you according to works. Don't worry about it. Because this simply means that if you are saved, your works will prove that you are saved. So not only is it how God judges, it is how we are to judge ourselves. Okay? This is the argument that is made. Now, let's make it very clear. The idea that God judges according to his works is not unique to the book of Romans. We already looked at all, uh, I don't know how many verses we looked, hopefully you have them all written down. This is an idea taught all the way in the Old Testament, and it is taught all the way through the New Testament, all the way to the book of Revelation. Revelation. He judges according to works. Jesus seems to make it very clear that this judgment is he looks to see if you do good and if you do good, heaven. If you do evil, damnation, hell. All right, That's a serious idea. Again, now the evangelical world says, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. All this is saying is your works will prove that you are saved. He, he doesn't uh, according to the Protestant evangelical world, works don't save you, they prove you are saved. But, remember we talked to this circular reasoning, to, if you don't have them, you're not saved. Therefore, works are required. Right? Like, There's no way to get around the circular reasoning that this... And, and Whenever I point that out, evangelicals and Protestants may get mad at me, but it's not my fault. If you have a system that involves circular reasoning, you have to deal with the fact it involves circular reasoning. And we have to struggle with that, okay? So, we're trying to answer a lot of questions here, right? How do we understand um, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone? Wait a minute, Uh, how do we understand works? How do we put all of this together? But let's read Romans uh, 2, 6 through 10 and see. What we can discover here and then we have a lot of things to try to unpack and we have a lot of things to try to work through. But I'm trying to, I want to try to summarize so that when we're done, we can all take something away from it. Does that make sense? All right. Romans chapter two, verse six. Okay. Speaking of God who will render to every man according to his deeds to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life but unto them that are uh, contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile now if you take those verses in Romans 2, 6 through 10 right now please do not try to offer an answer To get out of what the verses say, but based on a clear reading of those verses, what is being taught? Okay, evil works will result ultimately in what? Okay, we could say damnation, I think we could agree there, right? And what's the uh, counter to that? To them who by patient continuance and well doing, what do you get? The end of verse seven. Eternal life. All right. So, what, Simply put, Romans two six through ten is teaching: good works lead to eternal life; bad works lead to damnation. It's right there. Now you can try to read, You can try to go. Well, well, this verse over here. It does. Romans remember uh, that's what a lot of people were attempting to do when I started bringing up these problems and like that's not hermeneutics I don't that's just that's just trying to get out of it right look it's like hey don't look at this look at that Okay, well that's not doing hermeneutics hermeneutics is I have to look at this and figure out how it fits With that does that make sense and the two have to work You know somewhat now. This is what I want to do. I've got I've got a commentary here and let's see how they handle this apparent difficulty. Would you agree that's difficult? Right? I mean, that's... that's and, I, and I want to make sure we understand this. The evangelical world, this is how we have a tendency to do. Oh, that's not a problem. It's not that complicated. Well, if it wasn't that complicated, then why for pretty much 1,500 years a different understanding of salvation was taught? Correct? Right. Why, if you can't, you can argue, well, Catholics aren't Christians, which most evangelicals would say. Greek Orthodox aren't Christian. Coptics aren't Christian. Okay. well, if you start eliminating that, you're eliminating over a billion people who are under the Christian heading, saying all their understanding of Christian Christianity is wrong. But let's be fair, their Christianity dates further back so we, we, and all I'm trying to say is, I'm not saying we have to agree with it. What I have to say is, obviously, for a very long time, people understood there's, there's, there's some difficulty here. Agreed? And we have to embrace that and not simply say, oh, the answer is so simple. It's so simple. It's no problem. Uh, um, if you do that, you're, you're just, it's because you don't want to deal with the difficulty. So let's see how uh, MacArthur handles this. All right. And we already know where he's going to probably go, but let's see. All right. um, he, uh, he labels this section deeds. He quotes Romans 2, 6 through 10, which we've read. And we're going to now listen carefully. I want to see if you can pick up the flow of his logic and see if we see any problems. Although it is simple and straightforward, this passage embraces several truths that are easily misinterpreted if not studied carefully. All right, stop right here. Now, immediately, we that, I don't know if you can pick up the code there, but there's code in that language. Anybody, can anyone decipher the code? Okay? Although it is simple and, and straightforward, this passage embraces several truths that are easily misinterpreted, if not studied carefully. Well, this is code. Even though it appears, even though he says it's simple and straightforward, it's not actually simple and straightforward. Because it can't say what it seems to say. And the reason it can't say what it seems to say is because it goes against what we presuppose. (laughs) All right. That's always, that's code. Hey, it's simple and straightforward, however, a simple and straightforward rendering, reading of it, it will be what? Incorrect Does everybody pick up what he just said it's simple and straightforward, but a simple and straightforward reading will be Incorrect, so what do you need to do? Well according to him you need to study it carefully Right now, let's see how careful He handles it all right because this is this is right to the crux of the matter, right? This is right to the heart of the issue. This is why we're looking at this in the text from Revelation twenty, quoted above. Now stop right there. Um, that kind of caught my attention. What? Uh, I don't know what verse of Revelation twenty is he is he claiming that in Romans two six through ten, Revelation twenty is being quoted. Does anybody have a cross-reference revelation? I'm, I'm a little perplexed by what he's making a reference to here. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to read it again and see if I'm, I'm misinterpreting what he's saying. In the text from Revelation 20, quoted above, and the only thing above is he has uh, Romans 2, 6 through 10. So is he claiming Romans 2, 6 through 10 as a quote from Revelation chapter 20? And I thought many would argue that Revelation would have been written after Right, so I don't know what's going, but so that's interesting enough. Like I don't really understand what's going on here, but let's, okay, I don't. But let's, uh, we'll read everything he says and see if we can figure it out. Okay, so I I just want to make sure that I'm not the only one who kind of I kind of had to pause there and go, what are you talking about? But that's okay. Oh wait. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. No question. Revelation 20:13 teaches we're judged according to our works. I just don't know if Paul is quoting Revelation chapter 20 verse 13. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I don't. I, I, I thought. Can can we agree that uh, what, on the front of your Bibles, do you have a date for the writing of Romans, or if you have a Bible dictionary, grab a Bible dictionary. Do we have a dating? I don't know what this commentary is referencing. For uh, for Romans, okay. What do you have for Revelation? Almost everyone believes it's written after that. I thought I could be I could be completely wrong. 95, yeah, 95, right? So there's no way Paul can be quoting. <laughs> there's no way Paul can be quoting. What do you have for a date? 95 to 96. That's two different Bibles, right? Uh, so for for is that's still before Revelation so I, he can't be quoting from Revelation okay I don't know what the commentary is talking about yeah. Yeah. right well I mean he could be quoting from a different author yeah. that's no problem but it's uh, I just don't think I don't know what this Re- I, I'm confused by this right? <laughs> Isn't that a weird statement yeah, but he's saying in the text from Revelation 20 quoted above. And what he has above is Romans chapter 2, 6 through 10. Before that, you have a completely different section. Okay? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what that is, but hey, when you read again, this is what I want you to this is what I want you to understand. When you pick up a commentary and read a commentary, you have to to check the, you have to question these things. Does it make sense? When I was a young Christian, I thought, oh, God, a commentary has to be right. Right? Okay. But, yeah. know, now I, <laughs> so let's see what he does with this. Okay. Because it may be irrelevant that he's stating that other than it's, it, it's giving a wrong impression. Okay. But let's read this. In the text from Revelation 20, quoted above, we are twice told that men will be judged according to their deeds. All right. Now he has verse twelve and verse thirteen, okay, okay of Revelation twenty. Okay, that, okay, that that's true. How far back above well, right, I don't know because the next part, uh, the other part is a. Okay, maybe. Okay, I guess above the deeds section, if we go all the way back, okay, he has. Okay, no, uh, in in this commentary. I'm trying to figure out what he's doing here. So if you go back in the commentary, this is how it's set up. It's called Principles of God's Judgments Part 2. Okay? Then he has a quote from Revelation, or not Revelation, Romans Chapter 2, 6 through 16. Then he says, Paul here continues to talk about the Day of Wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, if you go down underneath that, he does quote from Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Okay. But that section stops. Then it, it, a new section begins called Deeds. Then he quotes uh, Romans 2, 6 through 10. Then he goes, although it's simple and straightforward, then he says in the text from Revelation 20 quoted above. He has to be speaking about, I guess, that, that's what he's that's what he's referencing it just seems it was confusing the way it's yes. it's organized okay but all right just, I just want to make sure you we're trying to, to be okay yeah well I mean it's, two different, yeah, it's two, different two different sections Yeah, it's two different sections but I guess you have to go back to the previous section to say and it's a quoted above it's not above it's on a different page so yeah maybe in the document he was writing it was on the same page but it's weird like if I'm just looking at this page and I'm like above there's there's not that, so does it make sense? Sorry, right. he should have said, "quote," right. quoted in my introduction yeah, section, right, or something along those lines. But okay, so we just want to make sure that uh, no one here walks away reading that thinking that Paul is quoting from Revelation because he couldn't have been, right? All right. So in the text from Revelation 20, quoted above, we are twice told that men will be judged according to their deeds. That's uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 13. Does anybody need to check that to verify? It is. Everybody sees that. Okay, so there's no problem there. That is the same truth Paul emphasizes in Romans 2, 6 through 10, declaring plainly that God will render to every man according to his deeds. Now, remember he said this is plain and straightforward. And he's making an argument, and which I do uh, uh, agree with, that that same truth is taught in Revelation 20. So that means this is not only a teaching of Paul, this is a teaching of John, and, I, and it's, we'll, we'll believe, it's teaching by Jesus, it's teaching all over the New Testament. Judgment by deeds or works is clearly taught in the Old Testament. Right? He wants you to look at Isaiah chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. Isaiah three ten through eleven. I hate the fact that that caused a little confusion there, but that's okay. All right, Isaiah chapter three. Everybody, say in verse ten. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 10. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. All right. They're giving the same principle. Basically, good leads to doing good leads to good, doing bad leads to bad. All right. Uh, Jeremiah 17 10. Jeremiah 17.10. I'm going to read uh, from the version he's using, but you can follow it in yours. Tell me when you're there. All right. Jeremiah 17.10. Through Jeremiah, God proclaimed even more specifically, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Right. is that pretty close? Right. Same principle. All right. Uh, Jesus reinstated that principle or, re, or reiterated that principle of judgment, teaching that the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. Matthew 16:27. Everybody look at that one. Matthew 16:27. Make sure that we're we agree, right? So this is, this is a common principle, agreed? All right. On another occasion, Jesus said, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. John chapter 5, verses 28 through 29. John chapter 5, verses 28 through 29. Everybody agree that's there? All right? Very very clear. Now remember, remember what this commentary said: that this teaching is simple and straightforward. However, it implies the simple and straightforward understanding is not correct. You need further study. He continues to quote verses that are clear. And straightforward so at some point he's gonna to have to transition from re- restating what is clear and straightforward and tell us why it's not clear and straightforward right that's the that's the transition that you need to follow to see okay how is he going what logic he's going to use to explain the clear and straightforward understanding of the text right and I just want you to I just want you to understand remember one of the hallmarks of again uh, within the Protestant evangelical world is what doctrine about the scriptures? We've talked about it. Perspicuity of the scriptures, which means they're supposed to be Very clear. clear. Well, here we're being told the... Cl- well, well, this would deal with salvation, right? <laughs> this would deal with salvation. And he's saying the clear and straightforward understanding is not clear. It's not the real meaning. Therefore, the text is not clear. Right? I, like, I don't know how you can speak out of both sides of your. The texts are clear and simple, but yet the clear and simple is not the clear and simple. However, we believe the Bible is clear and simple. Okay, that's, that's not. No, okay, that doesn't work. All right, let's see what he goes on here. Now, what are we looking for from a logical perspective? How he's going to transition and explain to us why the clear and straightforward is not clear and straightforward. Right? He goes on. Paul, the great apostle of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Stop right there. Please see what he just did? There's a transition. And now he's going to throw in, see all these verses about being judged by works? Paul, the great uh, uh, apostle of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Stop right there. Implying that's the doctrinal presupposition that's going to be utilized to reinterpret these clear and straightforward verses. Now, what does he say? He says that Paul, this one who taught salvation by grace alone through faith alone, consistently taught that God's judgment of believers as well as unbelievers will be based on works. All right. Now, I, he, he has to acknowledge that that's the teaching. Now, he quotes 1 Corinthians 3.8, which we have uh, read in the past. All right, and he, and he goes on, or he reads from actually uh, 1, Corinthians 8, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, all the way to, down to verse 15. And we've talked about this one, right? And we made an argument that it could be stated that this is a separate judgment, a judgment only for whom? Believers. Believers. And what is the interesting thing about this judgment? That works are being judged, however... Even if your works burn up, you're still saved. Now, this is a, this is, this is a difficult What? Well, how do we understand this, right? Because these other passages seem to argue that if your works will either exonerate you. So now, if we're saying that those judgments, we're referring to the judgments, well, it can be judgment of unbelievers because you have some there who's going to be saved. How does this work? Right? To me, 1 Corinthians 3 throws more of a problem into this than a clarification. Right? Oh, well, Paul even said it himself. Yeah, well, wait a minute, this doesn't clarify anything. Because Paul's explanation seems to contradict the others. Because Paul seems to, hey, if your works burn up, don't worry about it. You're still saved. Well, if my works burn up, then that should mean that I don't have any works to save me. Like, I understand this, right? Again, back to the commentary. Again, speak, uh, speaking to believers, Paul writes, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. All right, make sure you have that one written down. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. All of these verses are pretty clear, are they not? Would everyone agree these seem pretty clear? If I gave you all these scriptures and told you to read them, and then when you were done to write down what they would mean, what would be your only possibility at this point? Judge according to our works, and, our, and if we don't have enough good works. Damnation. Right? I mean, would you agree that none of these verses are complicated on the surface? Agreed? Okay, all right. I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.10 seems pretty clear. Agreed? Yes? Okay, all right. Even in that wonderful epistle of grace Paul declares do not be deceived God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows that he will also reap for the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption for the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life and let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 through 9 which still even though we could argue that doesn't apply to judgment the principle still seems to be at work. And what is the principle? Do good, get good, do bad, receive bad. All right. So far, so good? All right, now listen to... Now, here comes the big transition. Here comes the big transition. Everybody ready? Thinking caps on. God does not judge on the basis of religious profession. Religious relationships or religious heritage. But, um, but among other standards, he judges on the basis of the products of a person's life. Stop right here. Now, according to this, how does God judge? On the basis of the products of a person's life. In other words, what your life produces. What your life produces is what God is going to look at. So when you stand before God, he's going to look at Bobby's life and go, what did his life produce? And I guess if it produced enough good, Bobby gets heaven. And if it produced enough bad, then according to the evangelical way, that proves that he wasn't saved. Right? I don't know if everyone wants to pause right there and kind of start shaking your head because that, don't you see just the danger with this? It sounds good, doesn't it? Right? Like, it just seems like, okay, that fixes all the problems. I don't have to worry about this whole judgment about works thing because it doesn't mean that we're saved by works, but, but my, work, my, my salvation will produce enough works to prove that I'm saved. That sounds good until you really start going, wait, how do I make that? How do one determines that? Right? So, I guess in David's life, if we use this argument, murder, adultery... Cover up, okay, and all the other things he did, polygamy, all the other things he did, he did enough good to wait, How do you balance that? Okay. Yeah, well, so that was good. He, he didn't kill Saul, right? That was good, right? Now he lied, he did the numbering, people died, but I guess. He does not judge on the basis of religious profession, religious relationships, or religious heritage. Yeah, but, but but he made up for it after, you know, made up for it. Right, well, but they would say he, his, he had enough good in that he, he was preaching and doing stuff, so in that way, all right. But among other other standards, he judges on the basis of the products of a person's life, right? An issue on the day of judgment will not be whether a person is a Jew or Gentile, whether he is a a heathen or orthodox, whether he is religious or irreligious, or whether he attends church or does not. An issue will be whether or not his life has manifested obedience to God. Now wait, right there I already have a problem. That's double speak. It's not going to matter if you go to church or don't go to church. Whether you're a Jew or not. Okay. Well, but it does, you know. Almost there's a few of those that say you know, if You're a Jew. You Right. Well, or, or right. Right. Or right. You know, so well, I what well, I'm just trying to argue what I'm trying to say is um wouldn't attending church or not attending church demonstrate uh, obedience? So how can he say it doesn't matter? When then in the very next sentence, uh, the, issue, um, the issue will be whether or not his life has manifested obedience to God. On that day, each one of us shall give account of himself to God. Look at Romans 14, 12. Make sure that that's there. All right, so we're all going to give an account. We're all going to give an account. So, I mean, like, I, to say that whether you're at church or don't attend church seems to be like, so you're saying not attending, if you don't attend church, you're not disobeying? Look, well, like, you see how this is already, like, it's already leading me into question. Now, I want you to listen carefully. Okay, this hour is going to, this next statement is what this entire next, uh, this, this hour is about. Okay, everybody ready? I want you to see if you can process this, okay? Everybody ready? Here we go. The subjective criteria for salvation is faith alone. Which, with nothing added but the objective reality of that salvation is manifested in the subsequent godly works that the Holy Spirit leads and empowers believers to perform. Did anybody hear that? Okay. The subjective criteria for salvation is faith alone with nothing added. But the objective reality of that salvation is manifested in the subsequent godly works that the Holy Spirit leads and empowers believers to perform. All right. Yes. Exactly, exactly. What what is going on? Yeah. How are you going to make the subjective thing, the subjective? Let me read it again. All right. Let me read it again because I don't want to misquote this. All right. Because this is a staggering quote. Right. This isn't an evangelical Protestant, you know, reformed leaning. You know, MacArthur is definitely far more reform leaning than many. Right. Here's a commentator who, who would, you know, you know, one of the leaders in the evangelical world, and he just told you the subjective criteria for salvation is faith alone with nothing added. That's the subjective criteria. Right. I know what's subjective. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm like, I'm dumbfounded. Right. Because. Yeah, okay. Read a definition of subjective. Yeah. so subjective is faith alone by grace alone by Christ alone that's subjective <laughs> wait no no that to me would be the objective because I'm trusting in what Christ. Well, it was something Christ did outside of myself that's objective <laughs> he died right that's objective how can that be the subjective this is this is crazy this is insane, okay? Like, I, I feel it's insane. Now, I know I'm going to get 900, you know, MacArthur followers are going to be like, you're a heretic, you know? Down with you, burn you at the stake. How dare you question Pope MacArthur? He's infallible, okay? But um, I'm going to question it, okay? Right? I'm going to say, when they you send me those emails, I'm like, is that your subjective opinion? Okay? Is that your subjective criteria? Because, you know... I, I, I'm, I've got, I got problems here. Am I the only one who has a problem? The subjective criteria for salvation is faith alone with nothing added. But the objective reality of that salvation is manifested in the subsequent godly works that the Holy Spirit leads and empowers believers to perform. So again, what's the objective part according to this view? Works. Works. Now, Bobby already pointed out something. He claims who's producing those works? Holy Spirit. He's the one giving you the power. Now, wait a minute. Now, you've got to think this through completely, right? Because now this, is, this would have to be the argument. Every Christian, and, and I know this is the roundabout way, every, if, if God is, is the one producing the works and doing the works, okay. why are they being burned up? Oh, those aren't the ones that God produced. those are the ones you produced.. How do I know the ones I produce versus the one God produces? Right? I mean, I got all kinds of questions. And, 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 and so this is the thing. Well well, if God's the one do, producing the works, then shouldn't we all have pretty much the same amount? shouldn't there be no question like when we do those when they do those tests you know those you know sociological tests shouldn't they be like Christians are a million times better off than everyone else well are we really that different and shouldn't Christians like every Christian about the same place Should, and every, every Christian shouldn't they well, unless unless you argue God doesn't want everyone to have the same level of works and if you go there do you see what you're saying hey you know my works aren't as good as Bobby's works Whose fault is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, Well, the, my, what I'm saying is if, if we argue that God's the one producing the works, right? And I look at Brenda's life, Bobby's life, and my life, and if Bobby's is better than me and Brenda, then me and Brenda can simply say, yeah. God doesn't want us to have the same works Bobby does. So, that, 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 that might work yeah, well, it'd make the works some kind of subjective, it seems. It just seems like you're, you're kind of saying, hey, God's the one who's going to do the work, so if I don't have, I don't have that many works, I'm good to go. Right? So, so Joel can look at his parents and go, hey, parents, I mean, don't get mad at me. I'm not, I'm not being that godly, but, you know, it's God's fault. Right? I just gave Joel a built-in excuse for his lack of, of interest in things of God. Okay, right? <laughs> I did not, actually. Okay? But, but, but you see what that's kind of saying? Right? All right, so let's continue. For that reason, for this reason that he just gave, the objective and subjective, good deeds are a perfectly valid basis for God's judgment. All right, everybody see that? So this is why it's perfectly Perfectly valid to do it this way. It's perfectly valid to do it this way. And, and you see in a roundabout way why this is supposedly giving you assurance. It's supposedly giving you assurance because, well, if I'm saved, God's going to produce enough works to save me. Or, or to prove that I'm saved. I mean, got, I don't want to misquote their, 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 lo, their logic. But... Right. But they will argue God's the one doing the work. So, but I'm saying, so you can have assurance that God's going give, to give you enough works to save you. It's just a, it's a weird, I don't know. Well, Let's see what they go on to say. A person's actions form an infallible index to his character. A person's action... Actions form an infallible index to his character. Isn't it interesting how the term "infallible" gets thrown around here? Infallible fruit and the canons of Dort, right? Okay, infallible assurance, infallible uh, index to his character. So how? Uh, so I, I have an infallible index to character, and what's the infallible index to character? Actions, so if I need to understand Sarah's character, what do I do? I just flip to the index, and I just look at her Actions and boom I know her character. Well, wait a minute How many people so What do we get from Moses then? Moses murdered someone right tried to hide it and then he ends up he doesn't even get to go into the promised land So how what does it say about his character? The two bookends, right? Murder? <laughs> Failure. Well, but he did more. So, so how do I, so this character-based, so you know what, character is like, based on percentages? Moses did more good, but, but doesn't Moses get praise in Hebrews 11? Doesn't even, does Samson get mentioned in Hebrews 11? Look and see. I, I, don't, I don't want to misquote something. I just, I'm just trying to think this through. So I hate when I say something um, without first thinking it through, but that's the good thing about a small church. I can be more like this. No. Hebrews 11, because it mentions a lot of people. You can look at the names. We have Abraham, obviously, right? We have Moses, obviously, right? Samson gets uh, Yeah, he gets. He still gets mentioned in the Hall of Faith. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait. Samson's character would. His, would not. If that's an infallible. I mean, his character when you read about Samson, it, it, it pathetic. The the totality of his life is playing little games, getting spending time with the woman, right? Getting his head shaved. Uh, the only thing he does redeemable in the entire story is basically kill himself and bring it, bringing everything down on the Philistines. So wait, I thought it's an infallible index to character. How does he show up there? Does he, is he being condemned in Hebrews 11? No. He gets mentioned with whom? Who are the people in the list he gets mentioned with? Gideon? David, right. Yeah, he's getting mentioned with all these quote-unquote good people. Now, wait a minute. So what are we telling me? Now, this is supposed to be, your, the actions are the infallible cha- um, index to character. That's. Well, like of spirit, of spirit spirit. The word. Right. So, and I guess, and I guess uh, the Holy Spirit didn't want Samson to have the same works as someone. I'm like, you know, how does, I don't know. It, to me, you're placing, you're placing your failure on whom? I, you know, it, it seems like very monergistic sanctification, not synergistic. All right, uh, you will know them by their fruits, Jesus twice declared in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 and verse 20. Now, I said on the, uh, the other day when I came up here and re-preached the sermon that I am re-questioning the interpretation of Matthew 7 because Matthew 7, to me, is about false prophets. And he's saying you're going to know false prophets by their fruits. I don't know if we can then take that and make this a standard of judgment, but okay, but you know, we'll have to work on that. The works of a person's life are one of the unchanging bases upon which God will judge men. Every man will one day face the divine judge who is a comprehensive record of that that man's deeds. And by that record, the man's eternal destiny will be determined. So how is your eternal destiny going to be determined? I I want you to hear what he just said. Yeah, the, your deeds are going to determine your eternal destiny. Well, I, I, that, that does not sound like evangelical Christianity. That sounds like Catholicism, what we claim Catholics do. I would hope what etern- determines my eternal destiny is the finished work of Christ, not my deeds. And you know what? I will argue that all the evangelicals who believe this lie to themselves. Because if I truly believe that my deeds are going to determine it, I would be worried every single day. I wouldn't want to leave my house. I would burn everything. I'd burn all my possessions, and I would go join a monastery because I'd be scared to death that my deeds could not prove that I'm going to heaven. I would get rid of everything. I wouldn't have friends. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I would take my eyes, rip them out of my head, chop off my hands. I would chop off my legs. I would do everything because you're talking, and you're saying, well, you're being extreme. In eternity in hell, it's not worth taking a chance. Oh yeah, I I put myself in a vegetative state because I mean, you're, if we really believe, if you seriously seriously believe, this is what drove Luther to the point of insanity. Right? This what drew, Luther couldn't handle it. Remember the story of him going to confession and being there for you know eight days, and then the priest is like, you know, go away, man. Well, I can't go away. As soon as I leave the confessional booth, I sin, so I come back to the confessional booth. Well, it's just, you've got to stop being so worried about it. I'm going to be worried. If I truly believe that there's a hell and that my deeds determines my destination or proves where I should, however you want to word it, now it just becomes a matter of word games. Well, your works don't save you, but your works prove that you're saved. You're just playing word games. Bottom line, what does he say? Let me read it again. Every man will one day face the divine judge who has a comprehensive record of that man's deeds. And by that record, the man's eternal destiny will be determined. What is going to determine your eternal destiny? Your deeds. Now, does anyone in this room believe your deeds right now are good enough to get you to heaven? Now, maybe maybe that's because we view sin wrong. Now that would require an entire re reworking of what we believe sin to be. Right? And so then we'd have to just turn sin into what? External actions. And then we just say these are the big ones that will get you into hell. And these are and these ones won't cut, And why do we end up creating a list of? Mortal and venial sins. Oh, yeah, that's right. Big ones. How about Solomon? And then, then, then you'll get, the, well, there are Old Testaments, so that don't count. So, Paul, <laughs> yeah, I know. save before he was saved. Save, right. See, yeah, that doesn't count. If you get them before you're saved, they don't count. They only come out count after you're saved. Well, wait, if it says your whole life. But remember, this is the objective. We're making it too subjective, guys. This is objective. There shouldn't be any problem. Right? Yes? No? Okay, here we go. Let's continue. Now, I'm trying to be fair to the I'm trying to be fair to this commentary. I'm trying to be fair. I want to make it clear. I, I I hate the fact that we had to spend some time figuring out that Revelation 20 thing, but it was just confusing because he says quoted above and I looked above and there was not there, so then I, I didn't know I had to go, you know, go to a different page, but okay. I hate that that happened, but okay. But, but in spite of that, what have we discovered so far? What, what would you say the most shocking statement of this commentary has been so far? The most shocking comment in this commentary, don't you agree, is the subjective-objective thing? Right? What does he make subjective? Faith. Faith, alone. Faith alone. What does he make objective? Good works. That he says is produced by the Holy Spirit. You know, that's fine if you want to say they're produced by the Holy Spirit. But I think it's logical. I think it's fair to argue, well, wait a minute. If I say they're produced by the Holy Spirit, then either I can stop those works or add to those works because obviously not all Christians have. So therefore, then I could blame God. Well, he's talking about God. He's talking about God. He's not talking about man. And even there, that would, be, that would be unfair because you can't objectively judge Bobby's life based off what you see. That's not objective in any... That would be completely unfair. Yeah, yeah that would be completely unfair because I don't know what's going on inside Bobby. I don't know. I see a work. I don't understand anything. And you know, I don't understand, I can make all kinds of, uh, you know, judgments and be 1,000% wrong. I mean, that's the one thing we've already discovered is man's judgment is what? Flawed. Flawed. Because man looks to the external, God looks to the heart. Well, He just completely destroyed that concept because God's looking to the deeds. To to oh, yeah, he's trying to match it up to his lordship salvation. Oh, Yeah. Right, oh, absolutely, yeah. Right, yeah, your works have to be enough, right. So, so we're, all right, let's see where else they go here. Okay, unless, right, right. We'll, we'll get into all the, uh, yeah, if you listen to the four sermons by MacArthur on this, you'll you, you hear, you, you see how this got played out, and that's why I posted them, all right. All right, here we go. Um, it must be made clear Okay, it must be made clear, of course, that although scripture, both Old and New Testament, teaches that judgment is by works, it nowhere teaches that salvation is by works. All right? Okay, right. um, it must be made clear, of course, that although scripture, both Old and New Testament, teaches that judgment is by works, it nowhere teaches that salvation is is by works. I'm always trying to say it's the typical evangelical way. We are judged according to our works, but our works don't save us. The works prove that we're saved, but it still gets into a big circle because if if I don't have enough works, I'm not saved. So <laughs> I'm not saved by my works, but my works prove that I'm saved, but if I don't have enough works, I'm not saved. Kind of makes it by work like it's hard to get I, I, I know it's like, I, how many evangelicals just say this and don't bother to go, woo. I'm kind of saying the same thing. Is, and when you point it out, I hate that people get so uncomfortable when I point this out, but you have to see the circle. You have to see that this is, your, you're just saying it, you're saying the same thing in a different way. Am I saved without works? Well, yeah, you're saved without works because you're saved by the work of Christ. However, and the minute you say, however, you're going to add to it, right? I'm not saved by my works, but if I don't have works, I'm not saved. Therefore, what do I have to have to be saved? Works. Okay. Right? How do you get around? Like, I, you can talk. It's like I hate when you you start having this argument, and you're just like, well, stop. We're just running. We're just doing this. Okay. And then again, how? And then what's the next obvious question? How many works must have? Either Christ saved me or he didn't save me. Now, if I want to abandon the evangelical world, then I can abandon the evangelical world and embrace the Catholic idea. But the evangelical world, well, that's, that's, isn't that our whole argument? We're saved by? We, we add, the, what, what word do we add to our little formula? Alone. I'm saved by? Grace alone? Through faith alone, because of Christ. Christ alone. Now, if I put the word alone, do I mean alone or not alone? This seems to imply it's not alone, because if I don't have the works, and, and, I, and I, I know the, uh, because I, I mean, I've mean i been taught all of these different systems, this is how they would always say, the, the grace and faith in Christ that saves you alone doesn't remain alone right? It was going to produce something. That sounds wonderful, but then you're like, well, what has it got to produce? Oh, man, we're out of time. Okay. Um, I'm just going to read the next paragraph and then we'll stop. Uh, Whatever good a person has or does comes by God's gracious provision, and only he should be given credit and praise for those things, right? So God's the one who's going to do the works. Only God gets the credit, right? God will save whom he will save, and his sovereign grace completely excludes works righteousness. It's not by works. And the reason it's not by works is because God does the work. And if God does the work, then it can't be wrong, so therefore it's infallible. But, but the argument, you, you do see where that leads. The difference between works, between Bobby and me, or Bobby and Joel, the difference is God. I got major problems with that because I think I can can humanly point out that my effort and my commitment will be the determining factor between me and Bobby. If I am committed to living out a Christian life and I'm working on it and I'm developing plans and I'm trying to have discipline and I got people trying to hold me accountable and I'm working out a system, I can produce a better life, at least externally, than someone who's just like, God's going to do it for me. I think I can I can. I can under 1,000%. That's true in every area of life. You name a what. Bobby wants to, uh, to accomplish and what I want to accomplish, ba- it's going to be based on our effort and our commitment. I, I don't know how you can get around that. I, I don't know how you can get around I don't know. Because you're just like, we all just sit back and, hey, God, why did, uh, hey Bobby, what did God do uh, in your life this week? Well, you know, he didn't really want me to read the Bible much this week. And he has never really wanted me to study the Bible. You know, i listened to a sermon. Okay, well, man, I, I was reading a, a manual on, you know, uh, the history of dogmatics this week. That's what I was doing. So I guess God wanted me to know the history of dogmatics and didn't want Bobby to care about that. And I can't look down at Bobby. Do you see the weird... Do you see how subjective that becomes? But remember, that's supposedly the objective part. All right. This, and this commentary is really going I'm, to, I'm, 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 you see what's happening to, I'm already ripping parts out of it. Okay. The thing's falling apart because I'm about to start, look at it. It's all, I'm about to break it. It's what I'm about to do. I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time not ripping it in half. Fine, you know. No, okay. I don't want another one. Okay. Right? I think the church bought me that one, okay? Because right? they wanted me to die. Okay. Here we, all right. Here we go. Let's pray. And then ah I hate to end this way, but how do we have to end. I know you're like, where's the answers? Well uh, what, what we have to we remove where the answers aren't. Correct? All right. So let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, we pray that we can find some some rational biblical answers and understanding this idea of being saved by the finished work of your son alone and compare that with the idea that we are judged according to our works. We don't want to make this more complicated than it is, but we don't want to settle for some simple answer that ignores the contradictions and the the difficulties. And I pray that we would be committed to this and work through this no matter how long it takes. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said... Thank you.